Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Just a reminder that you can find all of our brand new resource guides on our Teachers Pay Teachers account. So if you need to check that out, go to our Instagram and you can find the link there. So today on the podcast, we are interviewing Tara Sumter. Tara, we are so happy to have you talk to us all things executive functioning and pick your brain. Um, I know Rachel saw you in a conference and loved hearing you speak. So thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you, ladies. Awesome. Well, I guess we can just start with you telling us a little bit about yourself, your background and as an SLP and um, really how you entered that specialty area of executive functioning. Yeah, so um, I have a little bit of a different story, I think, of how I wound up in, in the speech world, you know, the SLP field to begin with. My undergrad was in math and French, and I was a certified secondary education teacher, actually in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, yeah, so, and, um, but never went into education, never went into um, teaching. I ended up working for um, a clinic in my early 20s and got a taste for what clinical work felt like. And I loved it. Um, life took me to France. It took me to Norway. My husband's from Norway. So we moved there the first year married. Um, I worked on and off for a couple of years in Alaska in my early twenties. So I was sort of all over the place. And then once my husband and I moved back to the States in 2005, is that right? Um, we, we landed and I was trying to decide, do I go to law school or do I become a speech language pathologist? It was like a flip of the coin. No, um, kind of, but not really. It was like, do I want to make money or do I want to do what I really love? That's like what it was came down to. And of course I chose what I knew I was passionate about and loved and was like, yeah, I may never make money doing this, but whatever. Um, so yeah, I went to grad school then in my mid, mid to late twenties. So I was a little bit older than a lot of my of my classmates, and um, I shouldn't say the rest is history. When I got out of grad school, you know, I sort of had a different filter of how I saw our field to begin with, just because of the experiences that I had had earlier in my twenties mm-hmm. um, and even in undergrad. And so um, once I got out, I became a medically based SLP. I worked in the hospital setting, inpatient, outpatient, and um, I just felt like clinical care didn't make sense. 
I just couldn't connect the dots. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't make it make sense. And all of the information that I kept coming back to in, in our field wasn't answering any of my questions. So it was pretty early on, actually, even in grad school, I was reading a lot of psychology and a lot of other um, fields work, even in graduate school before I got out. But once I graduated and I was practicing, I would say 99% of my continuing education was in other fields. So I was getting all of my continuing education, particularly in cognitive psychology, um, a lot of neuroscience, occupational therapy, developmental, experimental psychology. So this is where I was living and breathing and studying this whole different area. Um, and in all of these fields, study speech and language. I think that's something that we don't quite realize that there's a vast amount of information research being done in other fields. Mm -hmm. And we tend to be a little insular in terms of what we study, how we research. Um, and a lot of people don't like to hear that, especially researchers, but it's, it's the truth. And so, you know, I feel like we sort of cycle this insular approach to research when there's a whole lot of other stuff going on. So um, with what I was learning in other fields, um, that was really where I discovered executive functioning, mm -hmm. which is my specialty area. And I remember the very first continuing education seminar that I went to um, on executive functioning, it was like, an absolute aha moment for me. I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is what I have been missing the whole time, right? Like, why isn't this child perceiving me? Why aren't they focusing and attending to their environment? Like I'm over here trying to work on, you know, verb ing and the child is not even connecting with me at all in what I'm doing. And so I, I figured out pretty early on that there was this missing link between what I needed to achieve as an SLP and what the child was or wasn't capable of from an executive functioning sort of self-directed um, cognitive perspective. So I just fell down. I mean, we're talking a decade plus of me down a, down a rabbit hole um, and just reading. I'm an avid reader. I people who know me well know that I drink my morning coffee with a side of research. Like I just have a research article. My husband's like, you're disgusting. Like <laughs> something, something's wrong with you. This is not normal. And I'm like, Shh, this is really interesting. Right. So, but no, so I just, I, I just devour information. Um, it's my pastime love, which is again, disgusting. Mm -hmm. And, and um, but yeah, that's how I ended up here. And so, you know, over the years, it's funny. Um, you know, I was in the hospital for a couple of years and then um, I taught anatomy and physiology of the speech mm -hmm. and hearing mechanism um, for a couple of years until I had my third child. And by the time I had my third kiddo, I was like, peace out. I can barely, you know, <laughs> I'm not functioning anymore. There was only so much I could do. Um, but at that point I had my private practice, which I started in 2011. Is that right? Yeah, we're on our 12th year. Um, and I just sort of created this therapy approach by integrating executive functioning work that I had developed and learned from other places. And I sort of like picked, you know, from a lot of different places that I was learning, um, putting sort of an approach together and then incorporating that into my, my speech practice. And yeah, I'd never done a day of marketing ever in my practice and things just exploded through word of mouth. Yeah, because when you add that, when you add the executive functioning component, it just 
completely changes your therapy. For sure. So I feel like, um, so Claire and I went to graduate school together um, and I'm trying to recall like specific times when there was like a true focus on executive functioning and it's like mm, tiny, minuscule, like maybe there, I feel like if anything, it was a buzzword, right? And you heard it and you're like, oh, executive functioning goes hand in hand with everything and it's important. And then it's like, all right, moving on and you're like wait but what so when you said you had that aha moment that's how I felt when I was listening to you speak at the um, Michigan like our state conference last March um, right like I saw that buzzword when you're picking out what courses you want to go to and I'm like I'm going to go to that like clearly I need to expand my knowledge there because again what I was given in the past was just not enough Um, And then I'm sitting there listening to you and I'm like, so much of it is like common sense, like, like very understandable concepts. Mm -hmm. But then on the flip side, you're like, oh, I'm not doing these things in my sessions. Like, no wonder I'm not reaching so-and-so because he has no concept of time Mm -hmm. or he has, you know, like whatever it may be. So can you talk a little bit about what an SLP, and I know it's a big question, but like what an SLP does in the area of executive functioning? Ooh, okay. (laughs) Boy, that's one of the hardest questions I've ever gotten on a podcast. Okay. Well, you're asking me what they do and then Mm -hmm. I want to answer what they should do. I think Mm -hmm. those are two very different, Mm -hmm. very different things. You, You brought up a really good point of how executive functioning is discussed in graduate school. Mm -hmm. And I would go as far to say that I didn't even hear the word in graduate school. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also probably a little bit older than the two of you ladies. You look look (laughs) nice and fresh and young and (laughs) I'm getting a little little wrinkly over here. Um, No, when I was in graduate school, it really wasn't talked about. I think what I hear the most often is that um, executive functioning gets talked about the most in con- in the context of TBI. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, what it, how, because that's what, we have this whole area that they call cognition, yeah. right? We have this, and, and again, don't get me started on how, do, how we organize our field, right? Like what's our scope of practice? Okay, and then we have, you know, language and speech and following and oh, and then there's cognition. It's like, wait, wait, wait hold on. You can't have language without cognition. Right. Mm-hmm. How, <laughs> where does language happen? Oh, right. In, the cognitive center. Oh, right. okay. All right. But somehow we've separated these things apart, right? Okay. Someone make it make sense. It doesn't. Right. Um, I'm trying to make it make sense. Um, so yes. So I think most of the graduate school programs, it's very much talked about in this context of TBI. And so, because we know that when there's, you know, traumatic brain injury, we usually have this front to back sort of insult. And so that prefrontal cortex, which is where our executive functioning center lies, the majority of it kind of scatters connects throughout the brain, but in that prefrontal cortex ends up being um, damaged that we're going to have issues with attention and planning and prioritizing and emotional regulation, right? All of those things. So that tends to be how it gets discussed. Now, I really firmly believe that executive functioning needs to be talked about in every aspect of Mm -hmm. cognitive development. In, in, in graduate school and in learning because in, in education, right? Like teachers need to know about this. This is not isolated to the field of SLP by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but executive functioning is an, a critical component 
of how children learn from birth on. And so the EF system starts developing really before our language starts to develop. We have to be able to perceive our environment. We have to, so we have to be aware of it, right? When we talk about perception, which is like this foundational skill of executive functioning, we're talking about awareness of ourself. Are we aware of where we are, what we're doing, our responses, our actions, our emotions, all those things? Are we aware of our environment? Are we aware of the objects and the people in our environment, right? That's like the first step of connecting, you know, with the world is that perception. And then how long can we focus to it? How long can we sustain, you know, attention? And so um, if this, and then we have working memory and inhibitions, a couple of other really big skills involved in executive functioning, but this basic level of perception and attention, if these are broken down, and children struggle with these fundamental cognitive skills, they are not going to be able to learn implicitly from their environment, right? So when we talk about early speech and language development, most children, quote unquote, you know, many children, not the ones we see, but many children learn just by being spoken to, being in the environment, right? Like being in a language rich environment, and that exposure, it's like osmosis, right? I mean, the information just soaks in. But the reason that happens is because their executive functioning system, this self-direction, right? The direction's coming from the inside out, mm -hmm. is connecting them and their brain mm -hmm. to that external stimuli. And when there's a, a sever, right? Like when that connection to the external stimuli is severed, could be a million reasons why. It could be that their attention is focused internally, right? They're thinking about the thoughts in their mind, which are way more interesting than what's happening on the outside. Or maybe it's that um, they have complex bodies and there's a lot of spasticity. And so their muscles hurt, right? And they're uncomfortable in their skin or they have really poor sensory regulation and integration. And as a result, they're just uncomfortable in their skin. And so their thoughts and their mind is focused internally right? Take a kiddo who's hungry, coming to school, coming to preschool, who, you know, who's, who's hungry, their thoughts, you know, their mind is going to be focused on something different than the external world. Um, and I don't even know how I got on all of that, because we started with graduate school. But, but, my, but my point is how the, the executive functioning system is absolutely fundamental to all later learning, all all learning. And so when that system is not quite um, developed enough um, at early stages, you know, of a child's life and development, we can see lots of developmental breakdowns along the way, including speech and language. Yeah, absolutely. So it needs to be talked about from day one in right. all of our classes, <laughs> all of our classes, speech classes. I mean, boy, talk about how EF is such, I mean, EF is such a massive component when it comes to speech development and we don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. So, um, if you think about generalization tends to be mm -hmm. the hardest thing for a lot of us to do, right? You have a kiddo and he can really make that R sound beautifully in your therapy session. And the second he walks out the door, he's back to his, you know, Wadja Wabbit. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is that in the therapy session, and you can get him to make that great R sound. I would argue you have fixed the articulation issue. Mm -hmm because he can articulate it. Mm -hmm. So you have solved the articulation issue. 
What's happening now and where the difficulty lies is that he's having trouble self-directing the new speech production independently when you're not there. Mm -hmm. That's executive functioning. It's not articulation. So it goes back again. So this idea of directing ourselves from the inside out, cueing. I talk about how the executive functioning system is the cure. It's not the doer. Mm-hmm. It's the behind the scenes cueing of all of these other skills that we have to do day in and day out, mm-hmm. right? And so that applies to everything we do: speech, language, literacy, pragmatic, social development, right? Swallowing. I did. I was. Um. I had a Zoom just conversation with Ianessa Humbert, Dr. Humbert. I don't know if you guys know her from. Yeah. The swallow, the swallowologist, we were talking about the connection between executive functioning and swallowing, right? It's because this system to direct ourselves from the inside out controls all that we do all day long. So, so as SLPs, then I love the example you gave of the generalization for like speech sounds, for example, obviously there's way more that that applies to, but, um, you know, working with kids, that's, that's huge with kids, especially in the schools and um, articulation, generalizing to outside of the speech room. I just, I so resonate with that. So where do we go with that then? Because I feel like we've all been stuck in the place of, okay, yeah, a hundred percent in the um, speech therapy room, even at the conversation level, like even when our goals are producing are at the conversation level, but then, right, it's still breaking down in his real life. So what do we do with that? I guess is my question. Like how do you target executive functioning? How much time do we have? I know, I know. That's a loaded question too. You asked the million dollar question. Um, I, I mean, that would take a really long Sorry, time, yeah. right? No, it's okay. But but I can kind of give you some fundamentals here. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things that we can do, there's one technique mm-hmm. that I pound into people. And I wonder if Rachel will remember it from the presentation. Um, that I did. She's like, uh-oh. Um, so <laughs> like, oh no, there's a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> there's a quiz. It's so funny. Every once in a while, if I'm if I'm presenting in Ohio here, I, I'll run into a, an old anatomy and physiology student of mine in my presentations, and I'll be like, oh, Jody, what was this? Da, 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 da. And they're like, Oh my god, Daryl, uh, do not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, anyway, um, the the most important technique I think that we can integrate into therapy that sh- that really increases the awareness. The key is increasing the child's self-awareness. So they have to have awareness around their own actions. And when we say actions, we're also talking about productions, right? Mm -hmm. Any kind of speech production or anything. So they have to have awareness around what they're doing. The issue is that when a child is outside in conversation and they're talking, the awareness is not focused on speech productions. The awareness is focused on their language, right? And the pragmatics and what they want to say. So we have to help structure um, situations where the awareness is on the speech production while also sort of I use a teeter-totter analogy when it comes to speech of um, you know and originally like in the therapy room we provide a lot of supports because we're being their executive functioning system we're we're cueing them when to say it right and so we have to sort of teeter-totter our um, activities to have less of us cueing and having and having less thought on the speech production and having more thought given to the language and we just have to teeter-totter it. But the one technique I was gonna mention that's super, super beneficial in this process is what I refer to as reflexive questioning. And 
the reflexive questioning is where we respond to the child's response. So if a child, so I'll give you a, a speech example here. Um, so if a child, you know, we're still, let's say we're working on guh, right? We're working on a back sound and, you know, the child's going da, 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 okay. And we're trying to get guh. So instead of just repeating over and over again, no, 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 not this, right? Say guh, I'm gonna handle it in a totally different way. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna meet the child where they are. I say, ready, say guh, child says duh. I'm gonna respond to what they did. So I'm gonna say, when you say duh, what do you feel working in your mouth? Do you feel your lips? Do you feel your tongue? Duh, duh, duh. I feel my tongue. I'm gonna say, you're right. You do, I feel my tongue too when I say duh. Okay, what do we feel our tongue doing? Do we feel it like staying in one place? Do we feel it tapping? Let's try again, duh, duh, duh. I feel it tapping. So I'm raising a lot of awareness around what the child's doing. And I'm kind of obsessed that you're taking notes right now, Claire. This is yep, here I am. <laughs> I'm writing down like quotes that you're saying. <laughs> Truly. Not that you're going to have this recorded as a podcast. I know. Yeah. I'll probably Never. listen back to it a bunch. <laughs> okay. So, so we're, I'm meeting the child right there. Duh, duh. I feel my tongue. I feel it tapping in the front of my mouth. I'm going to say, you're right. That was so pretty. Okay. Let's see if it matches mine. Ready? Gah. Where am I tapping? Right. Where do I'm um, tapping in the front? Duh. We're tapping in the front. Where am I tapping? Gah. And I can use all my visuals. I can use the mirror. I can compare my duh tapping in the front to what my mouth looks like for the guh. But what I want them to increase awareness around is where they feel their production and what does that look like compared to mine. And I'm going to contrast that. And that is what's going to increase their awareness. If you say guh and the child had the awareness to be able to produce guh, they would. Right? Unless, of course, there's like some major physiological in the mouth, there's an issue with, you know, the structures and all of that. I'm, I'm taking that out. But a lot of the speech stuff that we work on, it's cognitive based. Right. Um, it's either phonological or there's some kind of um, coordination difficulty, right? And so, um, or it's just, you know, Arctic. Mm -hmm. So, but we can come in and we have to raise awareness around what they feel, what they feel being produced in their mouth. And does that match with what you're trying to produce? So that would be one quick and dirty example. Yeah, I love that. I'm curious if you feel like, and this may be an obvious answer, um, but do you feel like there's an element of like motivation behind that as well? Like intern, like internally, mo internally motivated to produce the correct sound, I guess, if that makes sense. Cause we've, for example, we've had kids at our clinic come when they're seven, eight, and trying to correct our sounds and it's just not working. So we take a break for even a couple of years and they come back and then we, we fix it or it, it carries over. So that like internal motivator, I guess, is that a yeah. piece of that executive functioning? I guess I'm just thinking brain about yeah, it. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. Motivation. Oh, that's a, that's a tricky one because it's kind of like a fringe. It's almost like a fringe skill. Right. And it's almost a byproduct. Mm -hmm. of some other executive function when we talk about motivation mm -hmm. uh, we really then start talking about things like um you know being goal oriented and self-directed and then having resiliency mm -hmm. all of those skills sort of lead to that motivation right. which can be which can be hard but at the end of the day it has to be meaningful right right the motivation is going to come from from how meaningful something is mm -hmm. and if a kid doesn't care about their r then you could be right. pounding away at it all day and it's pointless 
Yeah. Um, that's one of one of the big questions that I ask because a lot of the kiddos we get are at our center, you know, our private practice are pretty complex because mm -hmm. executive functioning touches everything. Right. So we'll get kiddos that are presenting with all kinds of deficits and they look pretty complicated and layered. Um, and by the time they find us, a lot of times their self-esteem is not where we want it to be. They've really struggled in school. They may really be struggling socially. And so I'll meet them right where they are. And I'll just say, what do you want? You tell me what you want. You tell me what you want. And I'm going to help you get that. Yeah. And I can take whatever goals I have to help them get whatever they want. They might say, I want to learn how to read better. And then I'm like golden, right? I'm like, that was the best answer you could ever tell me. Or it might be like, I just want my parents to leave me alone. And then I'm going to say, great, I can help you get that too. Yeah. What are the steps that we need to put into place so that your parents are off your back, right. Right? right? Or maybe it's that I don't want people to make fun of me or I want to be able to make friends, yeah. right? But how can my goals and their goals, how can that all align yeah. and it all can kind of tie back together? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I like that you um, said that if they can say the sound, they would, right? Because I feel like so frequently and to no fault of their own, right? They're graduate students that like haven't had any experience in the field, but I so frequently get students that like for an artic kid, right? Like we have our word list, we know what we're going to do. And then they just like go down the list and drill them. And they forget that part of like, oh, I need to be teaching to mm -hmm. that, right? Like increasing that awareness, giving those, um, you know, like verbal, visual, whatever it may be, because like I say all the time, imagine someone giving you a test for something you've never studied for just over and over and over again, but never like teaching you that information, like how defeating would that feel to you? I would hate I don't like yeah. taking a test I know stuff about. <laughs> no, I know. I'm not going to want to take a test, right? I'm not going to want to yeah. take a test for something that like I don't have the tools for. So I really, I love that you said that because it's so important. Well, and that's a huge, huge benefit of reflexive questioning is that if you take my example with the, the articulation, right? Guh versus duh. And so what we could handle that by the, you know, I say, Guh, the child says, duh, and I say, no, 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 that's not right, right? It's not duh, it's Guh. That could be one way I handle it. Or I say, when you say duh, what do you feel working in your mouth? Do you feel your lips or your tongue? Duh, 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 duh. I feel my tongue. You're right. Mm -hmm. What do you feel it doing? Staying in one place, you feel it tapping. I feel it tapping. Oh my gosh, you're right again. You're the smartest kid I've ever met in my entire life. How did you know that, right? Where do you feel it tapping? Do you feel it tapping in the front? Do you feel it tapping in the back? Let's try. Da, da, da. You know, I might give them the opposite, see if they mm -hmm. can feel. Of course, I'm going to use all my tactile cues. Where do you feel it? You know, death. I feel it in the front. You're right again. Oh my gosh. You, how do you know all this stuff? Did you learn this before you came to see me? Brilliant. Right. So I can take these errors, mm -hmm. meet them where they are, and rework it so that they are correct. And then I get to say, does yours match mine? Mm -hmm. And they can say, no, it doesn't. And I say, oh, right again. Yeah, that's a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. Let's try it again. And then they might give me the wrong production again. And I can go through that whole scenario again mm -hmm. because it's, I'm not wasting time. I'm building awareness, right? Which is that key piece that that's the executive function piece that has to come before the self-correction right. and the self-monitoring. 
And I, and I think like Rachel said, the reason we miss that piece is because when we're in grad school, we're so data driven. So we're so obsessed with the numbers for lack of a better word. Like we, we just want to get to the highest number, like the more, the more trials, the better kind of thing. And yeah. it really may not be about that. Um, and I, and I would say, and I would say our school-based SLPs, our school-based SLPs still are very much focused on that. They have to be right. Cause they have to be right. Because they have to give certain percentages and certain numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious how you would recommend, sorry, I'm kind of going off and we'll, we'll come back to the, to the plan in a second, but, um, I'm curious what advice you would give then to school SLPs or SLPs that feel like they are tied to getting so much data, but they also want to build that awareness, um, like how to take data on sessions where you may only be doing that awareness or those, those teaching elements. Yeah. I would say if, if you, this is what's tricky because, and I get asked this all the time, it it gets really hard, especially for my school-based SLPs because Mm -hmm. they're, a lot of times their goals are predetermined, like preset. So they walk in and they don't really have a choice as to what they want to work on. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess what I would do is you could always take data on final product, mm-hmm. right? If you have to figure out what, you know, how many times did you elicit the guh, right? You can take straight data on that. If you can finagle the goals a little bit and, and add in some other goals, then maybe you can add in some self-awareness goals. So you might mm-hmm. have a goal around um, what is their awareness of their tongue? Can they tell you the tongue position? Mm-hmm. Can they tell you what the function of the tongue is, whether that be you know, staying in one place or sliding or tapping or whatever it is, right? Um, and can they tell you the location? So you might be able to take data in that way if it's articulation. Yeah. Right? To try to increase the awareness. Yeah. But it's hard. I yeah. mean, I always say the school based SLPs have the hardest job. I don't know how they do it every day. That's oh, is that you? Rachel. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I like But you know what? So I do school, but I also do private practice. So I really, cause I have my own practice. So I feel like I get like, you know, like the little bit strict of a, fit in a the box. Best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. Like my type a fit in a box numbers, whatever. And then I get my like, right. Like two-year-olds that I get to like crawl around on the floor with. So mm-hmm. we're doing yeah. it. <laughs> You're doing it. You're living the dream. I always say I'm surviving the dream. Yes. Surviving the dream. I, oh, I, need, I know I keep telling my teen, you need to make a shirt that says surviving the dream. Yeah. And I'm just going to wear that, that all the time. <laughs> we may make that the name of this podcast. Not this, the name of this episode. <laughs> or a quote from this episode. I love that. I love so, it. so are there any, um, like specific resources or anything that you would recommend for, SLPs who are interested in gaining more knowledge on executive functioning. Um, I know you yourself have some great resources, so we'd love for you to share that with our listeners too. Thanks. I appreciate that. Well, I'll start with other people's because I always feel like an asshole when I'm talking about my <laughs> stuff first. And, you know, um, but it, it's tough because there aren't a whole lot of research resources in our field when it comes to executive functioning that pertains to, um, you know, SLPs. So Sarah Ward is an SLP. She's a really great resource. Um, she focuses on executive functioning. That's a good resource. Um, but outside of the SLP world, one of my, my two favorites, I actually I was working. You just have them on the coffee table. <laughs> I do. Why well, was today is my first day. So I'm working on my second book which I'm hoping, I'm hoping is out. That's amazing. I think it's awful. It is just, (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm telling you guys, it is. It's You're so surviving the dream, right? Oh my, I mean, it's like <laughs> terrible. Um, yeah, I, 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 I hate it. I wish I didn't have to do it. I'm like, I've been waiting for years for somebody else to write the book. And I'm like, why isn't anybody else writing the book? Right. And then I go to the, pre I go to my presentations where people are like, Tara, you need to write this book, like yeah. put all your, everything into a book. And I'm like, no, but I really don't want to do this. And so I wrote the first book and it was hell. <laughs> and now they're like, now you need to write the therapy book, Tara. And I'm like, oh my God. So here I'm writing the therapy book. Anyways, I have all my resources here because I was going through research and putting right. references. Okay, anyways. Um, so resources. I love this book, which everyone can't see because this is a podcast and not a Zoom, but um, Assessment Intervention, Assessment and Intervention for Executive Function Difficulties by George McCloskey, Lisa Perkins, and Bob Van Dibner. This is a really, really, really great, great resource. Um, it is not an easy read. I feel like I always have to preface that. Like it's not an easy read, but it's worth your time. It's worth the investment um, into it. It really looks at executive functioning from a little bit of a broader perspective. Like the field of psychology really comes from a much broader perspective. Mm -hmm. um, my work is trying to make it specific for us. Mm -hmm. um, and make it specific, even a little bit more specific for educators. Um, I've had a lot of great feedback from teachers and reading specialists um, on my work. So I'm glad people are finding it beneficial. Russell Barkley is another one of my favorites. He's like the godfather of executive functioning. Um, so those are probably my two favorite resources that I can think of from the field of psychology. Um, I have a book called The Seeds of Learning, and it's a bigger model. So the seeds of learning is it's not specific to executive functioning, which I always feel like I need to preface because then people are disappointed and they're like, why is this? You know, but it's um, basically what I was attempting to do in the seeds of learning was share the framework that I have developed over the course of my career. It's all research-based, evidence-based, um, and it ties in executive functioning along with speech, language, literacy, even math I talk about and how it all fits together and how different components connect and interact mm -hmm. um, together. So I have that. And then probably my best resource on executive functioning is my online educational network. Um, it's called the Seeds of Learning. It's on Mighty Networks. We have, there's seven modules mm -hmm. on everything from the perception that I talked about, working memory, nonverbal verbal working memory, um, self-monitoring, self-correction, self-modulation, balancing, planning, organizing, decision-making. I mean, you name it, In inhibition, initiation, execution, all of that. And we go through what does assessment look like? Mm -hmm. What does therapy look like? How do we, what does this look like for different ages? And it's all in a community. So we're doing this together. It's and <clears throat> I can't tell you how many, how many companies I've had approach me over the years that are like, we want you to do a course for us. Mm -hmm. And I've said, it's, that's not my MO. People learn together. We're better together. We, I can't give you a six hour course and expect you to know how to do this. I need for you to learn it, go practice. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to provide a platform for you to come back and go, what the, f like, you know what I mean? yeah. that didn't work. Right. Like what, what happened there? Right. Yeah. Or go like, oh my God, that worked amazingly. And then we can mm -hmm. solve it. Um, we have office hours every single week. We've got like 70 plus hours of recorded office hours. Um, there's, we have, I think we cover 20 countries mm -hmm. with members. Wow. So you're like, we have one woman from Portugal, 
Um, she'll come and talk about her Portuguese SLP. I mean, it's so cool. And that community aspect, that's so wonderful. I have a question. Did you make like an assessment workbook? Not a question, yes. I'm telling you. You, you made an assessment you workbook. <laughs> you talked about it at the conference and you were like, I, we just got it. We have it. We only have like X amount. And I was the jerk that got up in the middle of you talking because I was like, I have to get one. There's a lot of people here. And I left, went and bought it and then came back for the rest of your talk. So. Oh my gosh, that's so That was funny. me getting up while you were talking. <laughs> but that's so helpful because I was actually going to ask, like, how do you assess this kind of thing? Like, yeah. I mean, besides just from what you're observing in your own clinical thought, like how, how do you kind of get things down and track? And um, that's so helpful. That thing so is nice like my Bible. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, we're yeah. revamping it so that the only place to, to get that right now is in the community. The community is loaded with resources from oh, questionnaires cool. to fly. I mean, just all kinds of resources in there, but that, what is it like 47 or 48 pages? It's mm -hmm. like, um, that, uh, assessment workbook is the only place I have it right now is in the community. My team were working on, um, tightening it up. Do you know that I finished that? It was literally like the day before I Yeah, you said that. that. You're like, no one has this. I was like, I'm going to have it. Like, <laughs> I'm going to have it. I went to, uh, where was it? Like Office Max or something. And I said, yeah. you know, hey, I can, I'm headed up to this conference. I want to take some of these with me to see if people are interested. How many can you make? And he's like, I don't know, 10. And I was like, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> I'm like, I need I, more. So the guy's just like, all right, I guess I have to stay up all night. They have to like hand any. Anyway. Oh gosh. Well, so, I'm honored. But yes, it's rare. <laughs> I was so glad it was so so well received. Again, I'm trying to take all of these complex ideas mm -hmm. and these really um, you know lofty concepts and apply them to our field and help everybody apply them. But to answer your question, Claire, about um, how do we assess executive functioning? There's not an easy answer to that. Yeah. Um, and I think this is too where, well, I can tell you the big researchers and the, um, they're predominantly psychology in the field of psychology um, who study executive functioning, they are harping on the fact that standardized assessment is the absolute worst way to assess executive functioning. And Russell Barkley go, who again is like the godfather, he goes as far in one of his books to say, not only is it the worst way to assess executive functioning, it's negligent. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's powerful, the word, but a lot of, yeah, oh, right? Right, love it. Like Thank you it. for I, saying it. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's just crazy. There's a really fantastic book called um, The End of Average, um, hold on. I'm blinking on his name. Um, wait, I know where the book is. Hold on. You can come with me and see my crazy house. Hold on. I have it. Scott, what's his name? We usually, let's see. Scott, I have it. Oh, Todd Rose. Why did I think Scott? What's happening? It's Todd Rose. The end of the average. It's a really, um, it's a really, really fantastic book about how basically we, we've gotten ourselves into this mess of comparing everybody to an average, um, which obviously applies to standard right. standardized testing. It's, a, it's an incredible book. He's a Harvard trained scientist who runs like this, um, I wanna say what's it called, the mind brain in this, well, I don't wanna say the wrong thing. Um, but yeah, it's a phenomenal book, but yes. So a lot of the big, a lot of big researchers know 
that we have gotten ourselves into a shit storm with a lot of this mm-hmm. yeah. standardized assessment, but unfortunately we've built systems around it. Right. So that's a whole nother podcast. Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but how do we assess executive functioning? It's, we have to look at what we call their point of performance. This is what Russell Barkley talks about. And we have to observe them. And it is taking a lot of observational data mm-hmm. across, I always refer, I call it POP, mm-hmm. patterns of processing. So we have to look for patterns of processing across different domains. Mm-hmm. So for example, if they're at home, do we see inhibition difficulty? So they're really impulsive, for example. Do we see impulsivity at home in certain contexts and at school in certain contexts and out on recess at certain, you know, in certain um, contexts and maybe if they have piano lessons, I don't know. Or do we see impulsivity being supported in certain environments for them? So we know that when there's more structure, they do better. Or um, maybe they just have, they're really poorly you know, organized, they're disorganized in a lot of these different domains of involvement. Um, you can, we can look at an even more of a micro level where we're looking at these executive functioning skills, say working memory, working memory would be a good example. Um, looking at them at, in different contexts of say reading. So can they hold on to words Can they hold on to sounds? Um, can they hold on to the concepts mm-hmm. and writing, right? Do we see that they have trouble? So writing is requires a massive amount of executive functioning, mm-hmm. massive, because writing is so much slower than speaking. Mm-hmm. So therefore, their working memory has to work harder to hold the language, hold mm-hmm. the information so that their hands can get it out, right? Mm-hmm. And so we'll see breakdowns in writing with kiddos who have really poor working memory because they simply, they write two words and then poof, it's gone, right? Mm -hmm. The information's gone. So we might see, and we might see working memory issues also in math. So if there are executive functioning difficulties, we're looking for these patterns of processing. We're looking Mm -hmm. for that pop. We're looking for it across domains. And that's where we're going to be like, ah, we've got you know, an issue going on here with the working memory. Yeah. We can't look at just one test. Isn't going to give us enough information, right? We have to look at it across multiple domains. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like we could talk to you for (laughs) five more episodes. Yeah. (laughs) We need a part two, three, four, right. We're going to need multiple parts. Um, (laughs) We're also probably going to have a ton of questions. So um, I know you gave your awesome resource, uh, the seeds of learning your community, um, where else can our listeners find you if they want to learn more, um, any social media that you want to throw out? Yeah, the best place is probably Instagram because okay. I post a ton of free information on Instagram. My whole awesome. feed for the most part is just education. Yeah. Um, and that's at Tara Sumter underscore SLP. Great. That's a really great place. I don't do a whole lot on Facebook. Um, I'm not on anything else. No, that's all perfect. the young- okay. Yeah, we'll share that in the note in our in our um, show notes too. So that's great. Well, thank you so much, Tara. I, again, we are going to have you back on here. We hope you will come back to hang out with us because this has been so eye-opening. You are amazing. And we love your passion. It's like radiating. It's amazing. Oh, thanks. (laughs) I come with a side of passion. I should warn people. Right. (laughs) I love it. The next t-shirt. Yes, exactly. There we go. I love that. Now I'm taking notes. We'll be your advertising team. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) 
I need one of those. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys were so fun. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tara. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech or on my website, speechissupersweet.com. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or on Facebook on kindly speech. And then you can email Rachel and I, if you have any questions or concerns, we are let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thanks.